Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Tom Cruise can put up collateral for Mission Impossible 2. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and should you accept this mission, which is to listen to this podcast, keep in mind that the episode will self-destruct between an hour and two hours in, roughly, I guess. And I am Adam Thomas, and you know what, Thomas, don't be so glib. You're just being glib. Oh, oh boy. You know, I think we were going to have a reference to his biggest work, the War of the Worlds (laughs) press tour. Yeah, against Matt Lauer. (laughs) A great interview that's held up so perfectly. Uh, But we are not the only ones here, Adam. For the first time in quite a while, we have a guest on Double Edge, Double Bill. Uh, We have somebody entering our cab. He is a fellow podcast for Talk Film Society for podcasts like Monsters Never Die. We have Mr. Matt Curion on the show. Matt, welcome to the show. Great to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, lots of fun. Lots of excitement. As soon as you said, hey, we're talking Tom Cruise, I, I yeah, okay. Okay, right. I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. Of course, that, that's important to uh, say because uh, we are finally, uh, in the history of our show, doing a Tom Cruise episode because finally, Top Gun Maverick is coming out. It's always the time thing to be like alive. That. <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking believe it when it happens. I know it's been out another... Uh, territories. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, this Friday the states are like, eh, nah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it down, boys. Yeah. We can't yeah. have it come out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're finally doing a Tom Cruise episode. It's interesting. We talked about this at the end of the last episode that the weird gap between Mission Impossible Fallout and this movie of four years is the longest we've ever gotten without a Tom Cruise movie. That's like crazy. since 1981, that dude has been at least every three years, if not multiple Awful. within a year. <laughs> the worst time, of course. Crazy. That's the only reason why that was bad. The time between 2018 and 2022. Yep. The only reason. <laughs> but uh, we're talking about Tom Cruise, and like Matt mentioned, uh, we gave him a list of topics, and he immediately dive bombed on <laughs> Tom Cruise. Why Tom Cruise in particular? He's the last movie star, last guy in Hollywood where he puts a movie out and people go to see it. No matter what it is, it's it's Tom Cruise. He puts butts in seats and he's not your typical movie star where he's just like a pretty face who can, you know, do some fun stunts and action. Dude's a great actor. Like my man has chops, always in awe of everything he does. Uh, Never gives less than, oh, I don't know, five thousand percent. And where would you say that really started for you? When was the point you really gleamed onto Cruise as a star? Wow. Uh, probably when I was probably when I was a kid watching uh, Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we'll get into, of course, yeah, I, that was around the time where I started because I remember the like Tom Cruise is one of those guys where he is definitely like the, one of the last big movie stars. I would have said him and like Will Smith 
where the last yeah. ones were, especially in a modern context, that could, like, get projects made just on their name. And I would say that, like, the weird trajectory of Tr- Cruz's career has made him so fascinating and why I want to cover him on the show, because you got his early start in the 80s, where it's a lot of, like, him being the new, fresh-faced, like, hot new kid, especially by the time of, like, Top Gun, he's just this massive star. Then he uses the cloud of, like, a Top Gun to work with big directors like mm-hmm. a Stanley Kubrick or Oliver Stone or a bunch of people throughout the 80s and 90s. And then he becomes, like, the sort of uh, producer guy that is mainly involved with, like, his image and working with some of these directors and getting to points like Minority Report, which was, like, the big one I remember, like, gleaming onto him with. Because like, that was, like, oh, this is my first adult sci-fi, like, action movie. I noticed it was, it like, rules. A, a lot different. <laughs> it's, it's a great movie, for sure. And then, obviously, right after that point, um, a lot happened with the press tour of War of the Worlds that made him a bit more of a pariah. And sort of, I think, hurt his star position a bit. And then by the time you get to now, I do agree that, like, he's at least able to get stuff made. But at the same time, I think the only really big successes for him as of recent have been, like, the Mission Impossible movies. And, like, maybe a Jack Reacher, the first one. Because even then, like, outside of Mission Impossible, it's stuff like the second Jack Reacher that kind of disappointed or The Mummy. Like, some other things where it just kind of, like, falters for him a bit. So now he's just especially become, like, so steadfast and like not only am I like the star thing might not work for me but guess what you're gonna see my movie because I might die doing a massive fucking stunt that's like the big <laughs> fucking like advertising push it's just like I nearly died doing this so you'll have to watch it who knows uh, bless but, him for it yes but bless him of course for that but Adam what about you what's your sort of cruise opinion word that really sort of like crystallized for you that he was a star See, man, I remember 80s Tom Cruise. I remember the Top Gun explosion. I remember Days of Thunder and, you know, Far and Away and all these movies where it was like, he was in everything. And, oh my God, he's so handsome. But then he, like, people started, yeah, but he's a little bit more than that. And then really, probably for me, the one where I was like, oh no, Tom Cruise is fucking legit. Like, the guy can really act. I mean, it's got to be Interview with the Vampire. Because I even remember the sort of blowback on his casting at that time. You know, people are like, Tom Cruise is a stat that's fucking stupid. It's never going to work. And then you watch it. You're like, oh, he's the best part of this movie. Like, he's fucking great in it. And, yeah, um, he is. Yeah, he's had a rocket strapped to him from the beginning. But, I mean, ever since then, it's just like, yeah, publicity-wise, he could do a lot wrong. But as far as acting and stuff, like, I, I agree with Matt said. He always gives at least 110%, even in, you know, the movies that flop, like A Night and Day or American Made or things like that. He's still good at it. Even the Jack Reacher sequel, which is lousy, he's still going for it. So, yeah, Tom Cruise is just, he's kind of, I, I also agree, he's the last name movie star. Like, yeah, he really only does the Mission Impossible and things like that now, but people go to see it because it's Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't Tom Cruise, they wouldn't work. He's the last, like, really big Hollywood blockbuster icon, I would say, as far as acting. Yeah, and you can tell, like, that sort of mix of, like, genuinely being a great actor in his box office stuff. Like, just the stat that he's had the three Oscar nominations for, like, Born on the Fourth of July, Jerry Maguire, Magnolia. And then on the reverse end of things, all of his movies have made a cumulative $10 billion, which <laughs> easily makes him like one of the top 10, like biggest grocers in terms Insane. of a movie star. Insane. Right. 
it's it's really insane. And then it's just also interesting hearing that regardless of like some of whatever the personal life stuff, obviously that has come out. What I really do enjoy is hearing anytime he talks about just how much he likes movies. We're doing this like right after the can like big event thing for Top Gun Maverick, and there was the whole interview where he was talking about like, oh, you know, I've been to the movie theaters and I've talked to these people who are like giving out the popcorn and stuff, and I can tell like, oh man, we're hurting, but don't worry, guys, I'm doing Mission Impossible and Top Gun Maverick. Like, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> that focused on just like no, I'm doing this for the movies. I am making sure the movies like even the the, the great tenant video that came out in the middle of the pandemic. Big just like, movie, big back screen. To the movies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My favorite Tom Cruise story is how he had a birthday party for himself on a cruise ship and didn't allow any drinking. <laughs> yes, that's true. That did. That, that is the story. The rocking party. The balls on that guy. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Fucking William Apothers just like, dude, you, you, your name is Cruz. Your stage name is Cruz. We're supposed to be having fun on this. <laughs> uh, but we are here to talk about two specific Tom Cruise movies because at the end of our last episode, we randomly picked a good and bad feature based on uh, each of us had a couple choices. And we ended up with, uh, between my two good choices, we had Collateral. And uh, between Adam's bad choices, we had Mission Impossible 2. So, we'll talk all about both of those. But first, we're going to focus in on Collateral. Hey, come on. I'll take you. I got five stops to make. What's your name? Max. Max. I'm Vincent. I'll meet you in the alley behind the building. Oh, no! What the hell? You killed Red light, Max. Hold on, hold on. Man, you were going to drive me around tonight and never be the wiser, but we're in plan B. Now, we got to make the best of it. Improvise, adapt to the environment. Whatever, man, we got to roll with it. You just met him once and you kill him like that? But I should only kill people after I get to know them? I'm not up for this. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? So, a Collateral came out August 6, 2004, uh, from director Michael Mann, who we've talked about recently on the show. And uh, it's an interesting little movie that uh, is basically, if you're unaware somehow, uh, it's this movie that mainly stars Jamie Foxx as this guy who's a cab driver. We initially see him pick up uh, Jada Pinkett Smith as this lawyer and has a bit of flirtation. And you get the sense, like, okay, he's been working toward this limo business and stuff, and he's really trying to make it work. Uh, and... Right after he drops off Jada Pinkett, he picks up a mysterious silver fox of a man, who is Vincent, played by Tom Cruise, who uh, takes him on the joyride of an evening. It's uh, one of those One Crazy Night movies. I'm curious, Matt, where does this stick out for you in terms of Cruise's career? Because it's not, it was like a very successful movie. It was a summer blockbuster, weirdly. Like, this would never be a summer blockbuster now. No, not at all. But he was able to make it one. But um, how do you feel that this sort of stacks up amongst his various films, especially the ones are tour-driven by Mr. Mann here? I honestly think it's one of his best. Uh, he is wonderful against type as the villain in this, because you never really see Cruz play a bad guy outside of, you know, Interview with a Vampire. But he's also a vampire in that, so that goes with the territory. But, I mean, he's phenomenal in this you buy him a hundred percent as this cold-blooded hitman who i don't know he likes some jazz every once in a while <laughs> he's, he's very b-movie you like jazz 
very much. <laughs> I love no, I love him in this. I think he's he's tremendous. He's legitimately terrifying as Vincent the Hitman. And uh, what about you, Adam? You've displayed your love for Mr. Man before. Uh-huh. But uh, does that love carry over to Collateral? Oh, definitely. Um, this is one of those, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, why can't every movie be like this? <laughs> like, it's just, yep. just so cool. I mean, th- that's the thing about the movie. It, not only is it a great movie filled with great performances, and, you know, Thomas, I saw your thing, and I, I tend to agree with you, some of the best hair ever in movies. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> And like Mark Ruffalo's hair is Ruffalo. Beautiful. Yeah, Ruffalo. <laughs> but um, it's it's just it's such a cool movie too, with the way it's shot, the score, the jazz element, the way Tom Cruise acts in this movie, where he's like kind of kind, like you're like, oh, he's actually like really nice, and he's trying to give Jamie Fox like life lessons, but then he's gonna <laughs> shoot a guy in the head, like you know, it's it's just it's, it's a it's, job. It's a job, and but it's just even the way it just everything about this movie is great. The way Tom Cruise even shoots his weapon, and you could tell he studied like close quarters combat techniques and all stuff. He's so dedicated to being this little like five foot seven, you know, hitman that you're terrified of, and it totally works. You're absolutely terrified of him in this movie, and not for nothing. It's also probably the best Jamie Foxx has ever been in anything. An amazing little quick performance from Javier Bardem. I mean, this movie is just got it all all the time yeah um i saw this in the theater and i was still i was younger so it's just like oh i don't know like i like tom cruise but I don't know, this just seems like it's a, it's a thriller movie on it it seems like it might be too adult for me and i was immediately so hooked by this movie it is such a great little thriller that you know like i mentioned this came out in the middle of summer made 220 million dollars but it's so refreshing to go back to like a movie like this that could be a massive big blockbuster when it's an adult themed drama with action sequences to it. There are many of these movies, like I talk about the one crazy night, like, oh, things go wild and insane and all this, like, bizarre stuff happens, but it feels so weirdly natural for this movie. Like, on paper, if you told me, oh, it's a movie that's supposed to be, like, a down and dirty, like, digitally shot thriller starring Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise, that would sound like there's no way. They're, they're two big movie stars, but they're <laughs> so natural in a way that fascinates me. I agree that I think it's my favorite Jamie Foxx, which is interesting given he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but this was also the year he won Best Lead Actor for Ray, and I would say this is a miles-ahead performance compared to a Ray. (laughs) And it's interesting because he also, like, you can tell there's, like, that imitation there that's in Ray, but it works so perfectly in context of this story with a particular, like, when he's impersonating Vincent. You can see him carry on, like, some of the stuff from Cruz's performance, but also have that nervousness, that meekness, that still, like, works so perfectly for him. And it's a tremendous two-hander with those two. No, yeah, I definitely agree. When he, especially the part where he sort of, like, pretends he's Vincent, he's so nervous and he's so, like, just scared by it but then he just clicks in because he's like it's not working if i don't do this i'm gonna die vincent's gonna kill my mother like i just gotta click in and it's just it's one of my favorite parts of the movie where he's like tell your man to put that gun down before i take it and beat his bitch ass to death with it you're like holy shit holy fuck dude he just now he's like it's game time and it's so fucking good it's so good you know, and then you follow the, like the Mark Ruffalo and the, and the police and, who are hunting him, and you just see how much smarter Vincent is than everyone in the movie. He's got everybody figured out up until Jamie Foxx takes his case and it kind of goes into chaos, but he instantly snaps back with a plan. I mean, it's just, it's such a cool, 
like I said, cool Hitman movie. I mean, let's be honest, Hitmans aren't real. We we know Hitmen aren't fucking real, at least in this sense. But like the way Tom Cruise does it, you're like, oh, this is believable. It's not like stupid Agent 47 bullshit. It's fucking like this guy, this remorseless fucking guy who just looks at it like it's just business, man. He's got a job. Uh, yeah, it's his job. It's just business. And then, you know, plus then you see Statham in the very beginning. You're like, oh, man, this is the coolest shit ever. Like, it's just, it, it's fucking great. And the digital cam works so expertly in this. It's one of the best examples I could think of of that technique. Michael Mann uses it a lot, but a lot of times it's just like, you know, a quick shot here and there, like the gunfights in Miami Vice or, or things like that. But this whole movie is pretty much filmed like that. And it works expertly there's some uses of film like particularly the club scene is actually yeah. shot, like on 35 millimeter or whatever but the, he'd done like bits and pieces of that earlier but this was the start of him using it for the majority of the movie and it works so perfectly with particularly when you see like them inside of the cabs which i love how like they apparently had like what they would call pope mobile cabs that like they had three different cabs yeah to where there would be people like the entire crew is in one side of the cab wherever like if we're focusing on tom cruise in the back seat or jamie fox in the front seat there's just an entire apparatus around them basically to be able to shoot that shit and I just love how natural it still feels at the same time which is like oh this is just a natural back and forth conversation even like near the opening with like Jada Pinkett and him and then Jamie Foxx I love their back and forth because once again on paper that sounds like such a like oh this is not a hero moment this is not us getting invested in this guy like why are you hitting on this professional lady <laughs> trying to do her job this is weird but in this context it works perfectly where it's just like it's firmly establishing both of their character motivations and what their purpose in the story is but making it feel so natural and flow with like the argument about oh let's go this way no this other route's better and like that that back and forth it feels so genuinely investing that the moment vincent like turns out to be who he is you're like oh fuck i want jimmy to get out of here so we can start a stupid limo company <laughs> get out of here <laughs> buy that first limousine please but then the uh the tom cruise of it all i feel like this is the beginning of sort of like the big tom cruise deconstruction period with like a lot of his career after this point, but in this movie, it's kind of like a great mix of all of Cruz's assets, where it's like, he's incredibly charming, he has this great like choreography, like we mentioned, all the stuff where he's kicking ass, but then also, it's such a great sort of exploration of the fact that if you met a guy who was as hyper-competent at his job as Tom Cruise's, it would always be intimidating, but especially when he's a murderer, it's so much more upsetting to the degree that when he ends up stealing the case, Jamie Foxx, like, when Tom Cruise is running after... <laughs> them like it is like you're fight facing a terminator basically it's intense it is so unsettling like that whole like sequence on like the sky bridge is like Amazing. a great little mini horror movie in its own right yeah and i mean and plus he just looks the shit too i mean let's be honest he looks fucking slick as hell in this movie with the sort yes, of salt does. pepper hair the gray suit the white shirt you know the sunglasses at night which anybody else wears sunglasses at night like stop it you know, it's the, you're not you're not Corey Hart. You're a douche. But like, <laughs> two, yeah, two people can do it. It's Tom Cruise, Tom and, Cruise Corey and Corey Hart. Hart 100%. That's it. That's yep. it. No that, one else. I don't ever want to fucking see it again unless you're a T800 robot. I guess that's fine. That's but fine too, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So three people, three things, or Blade, Blade. Okay, so fine. Four, four things. Four. Four. Four, things. four is fine. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that works. That works. Oh, wow. Neo. Fuck, five. Five, five. five. That's it. That's it. That's it. No more. No more. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, he looks fucking great in this movie. And, and that's what works so well about him. He's like, you know, the, the beautiful tiger you see at the zoo that, you know, will walk the fence and purr and, and be like, oh, it's so cute. But then see a fucking baby that could easily eat and hiss at it, snarl at it. You're like, yeah. Jesus Christ, this thing could, if this thing got at me, I'm dead. I'm done. 
There's a reason uh, Tom Cruise continues to, you know, dye his hair. The world was not ready for Silver Fox Tom Cruise. Uh, not at all. At all. At all. We at were all. not prepared for that. And, and I, don't think, I, I don't think we, I, we must not have handled it well because we haven't got it again. I know. It's, it was so. Oof. Yep. My, my mom goes on and on about how good he looks in this movie. Like <laughs> constantly. This is one of my mom's favorite movies. Like numerous times I have stopped by to visit and this is on TV and she's like, oh, I'm just watching Collateral again. Uh, okay. This is the hundredth time. I know it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. See, I go, I go on and on to my mom about how good he looks in this movie. And she's constantly like, what is, what is your deal? Like, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, it, it is. It's great, man. And then, you know, I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, thought it was a little bit hokey at the very end where, of course, it's Jada Pinkett and then Jamie Foxx ends up taking him out and everything. And that's how I felt when I first saw this. But you got to figure, when, when did this come out? 2004? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, aged, matured. Now I watch it, I'm like, hell yeah, get him, Jamie Foxx. I want you to kill him and then go start Island Limos, baby. Like, <laughs> I didn't see this until at least 2013, 2014. Oh, okay. It was a while. It was a, it was a DVD that my mom had that I was just always like, I should borrow that. I should watch it. And then one day she basically just like threw it at me as I was leaving the house. She's like, no, no, no. Watch this tonight. Do it. So I did. And I loved it. And that was when I first got into Michael Mann. So I was, I was all in from frame one. Just, uh, he's, he's good. He's pretty good. Man's the man. Man's the man, man. This was the first time I'd seen any Michael Mann movie. And I, what I find so interesting about, especially this uh, use of like the uh, handheld camera and stuff like that, the digital filmmaking, is that it really gets you up close and intimate with both, like any of these characters mm-hmm. or even just like the setting of L.A. The, the L.A. feels like a character in this film. I know. I'm very original for saying it's something like that. But um, you really get but a it sense is. of like... <laughs> Well, it's true. It's very true. <laughs> Sometimes the cliche is true. And uh, it's very much the case here where just like the way that both these characters like uh, sort of have different views of L.A. where one feels like it's kind of a shithole and the other one's like, no, I this is my ta- my home. I know every single corner back and forth. And the fact that you can tell that Cruz is kind of like using bits like that to kind of see what his reaction is. That it's almost just like, oh, okay, I'm getting a sense of who this guy is and why he'd be super competent to help me murder people, to be my accomplice, basically. He's kind of testing Jimmy Fox to be like, oh, no, you're the most accomplished cab driver I could possibly get, so you're the only person that can help me as I go on my murder spree. You've won. <laughs> You've got the job, buddy. And I just love the way that like he'll convey some of that with like the facial expressions where like he's like a terminator for so much of this movie, but occasionally he'll have like these weird animalistic sort of moments of like, oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. Like when he goes up to um, the hospital to see Jamie Foxx's mom and the moment she says, like, after deriding him for getting flowers, she's like, no, it was Vincent over here. It's like, oh, Vincent, they're lovely. And he has a moment just like, oh, oh, like he's almost a dog. He's just like, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? (laughs) Who is this nice man? Introduce me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I love all the elements. It's a great way of making the Jamie Foxx character feel a bit more like he's downtrodden, but not in a way that makes you feel like, oh, he's just the butt of the joke all the time. I just love the fact that he's he's a real character. So when you get the big moments, like I 
the, my favorite sequence of this whole movie is the whole back and forth when Tom Cruise has done his whole spiel about like, oh, you know what? You're going to just be like fucking nothing and you've, your dream's going to pass you by, all this other shit. And then the fucking uh, Jamie Foxx goes like so off. but like, you know what? Fine. Guess what? Uh, Mr. Sociopath in the back of my car was so fucking cool. Can you handle this? And the car fucking flips over. So good. Such great buildup to that awesome stunt. That comes right after my favorite scene in the movie is when... You know, Michael Mann's out there shooting with his Viper because he has a new toy and he wants to have fun with it. And the coyote just wanders onto the scene. And it's like, I don't know, it just hits me. It, it's just such an emotionally devastating scene with, with that song playing and, and just the little coyote just looking at the camera. And then, boom, car crash. Mm-hmm. Oh, and- and what is your interpretation of the coyote thing? Because it's been discussed back and forth, but like, what what do you think is the the purpose of the coyote thing to you in terms of the movie? I think it's just it's the serenity that um, Jamie Foxx's character could have. It's that serenity, but it's also that viciousness that Vincent clearly has. So it's basically both of them are within all of us. There are two coyotes, and uh, in this case, there is one. <laughs> We need to do that shirt to make sure it doesn't get copyright infringement with the wolf one. (laughs) And, and, you know, Matt and I, obviously, like, we just talked about our favorite sequences. What is your favorite sequence in the movie, Adam? What is your favorite bit of it? Oh, the part with the jazz musician where he's interviewing him and he he makes that horrible deal, you know, where if you get it right, then I'll let you go and blah, blah, blah. blah. I mean, it's just such a tense, horrible moment. The build-up to it is great because... You know, Jamie Foxx down there, in the way Vincent's talking to him and everything, Jamie Foxx got it on his face. You can tell he's like, oh, he, maybe he's not that bad of a guy. Well, okay. And then he blows his fucking brains out, and it just instantly <laughs> snaps back into, oh, my God, no, this guy's a sociopath. Um, I, that's one of my favorite moments. And then also the introduction of the Mark Ruffalo character with the loud music and sort of his slick back hair and his leather jacket. You're like, this greaseball cop. Like, it's just that's a great moment, too. Um I love sleazeball Ruffalo. Love sleazeball Ruffalo. But this movie is populated by just so many. I mean, the, the, the action bit in the club is amazing. I mean, there's just so many good moments. Uh, but, I, you know, even though I named a bunch, but the one I always think about when I think about this movie is when Tom Cruise comes out after the first kill and the guys are walking away with his suitcase. Mm. And he's like, yo, homies. Yeah. <laughs> is that my briefcase? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he fucking just, he kills those three guys so fast. But it's just, uh, just for some reason, that line, yo, homies, is that my case? <laughs> like, this is so fucking weird. How cool. <laughs> well, that's why I love it. Like, it feels like such a moment that it's playing on the fact that Tom Cruise saying that line is so unnatural. And then adding who Vincent yes. is on top of that <laughs> makes it the most unnerving thing possible. And even that's even the case with like the sequence you mentioned at the jazz club which shouts it's barry shabaka henley who is a great character actor love seeing him and stuff love that guy jazz club yes like when they have the conversation i just also love that you can see a bit of like the tom cruise like fascination with someone who knows so much or he's just like oh yeah i can't believe it i can't believe it it's so great (laughs) like he's got that smile that's just like so unsettling we're just like you're very enthusiastic but God, I don't know if I can handle down. this energy right now in this club. Like that's 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 what's so great. It's really playing on a lot of like the things that would seem like almost shark like for Cruise. In fact, I would say my favorite Tom Cruise stunt ever is in this movie. And it's a small bit that hasn't be supernatural. 
in both a literal, like, he is very natural, but also almost supernatural in terms of how he's able to recover from it. When he fucking throws that office chair through <laughs> the window, and then he jumps, and he fucking eats shit after jumping on top of it, and then immediately gets up. That's, like, the moment that crystallizes, like, Tom Cruise action started me. So good. Just in terms, of, like, he's able to do that. And anything that would, like, get the three of us, we would be like, we're dead. No, we can't get up. There's no way I can get up from this. Yeah, I'm done for a week. I'm good. Right, right. And he's immediately just zooming off after Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett after that. Like, I could just imagine, like, him eating shit after the office chair. Michael Mann going in his Chicago accent. You okay, buddy? (laughs) I got it, Mike. I got it. We got to do five more takes. Good. Let's do it again. Keep rolling. (laughs) Keep rolling, Mike. (laughs) But, but yeah, I would say, like, all my brothers are cops. You'll be fine. I promise you. (laughs) I can't recommend enough the audio commentary on the Blu-ray for this movie with man. Because it's a lot of either just like, oh, yeah, this is this part early that will be shattered. Oh, yeah, this guy is a great actor. And the other guy is an actual gang member that I met. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a boss. He's such a boss. I love man so much. (laughs) Yes, it's it's incredible. Um, And where would you say this ranks for you in terms of the man career, Matt? Uh, Definitely top five. Without a doubt. It's not my favorite. Um, that would be the insider. But uh, it's up there. It's up there. It's up there with, you know, uh, Heat, Miami Vice, movies like that, which are, you know, chomping at the bit right there. And I know, uh, Adam, the yeah. Last Mohicans and Heat are like your two top faves. But is this close? Mm-hmm. This is the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is probably number three or four for sure. This movie's so fucking badass i love it yeah he, no heat heat's number one for me oh i don't think anything will ever trump it um but yeah this is right up there for sure yeah and i would say this is my favorite man personally even though i love heat it's a very close but i think this watch is what crystallized it for me because it's such a great like little compact two-hour contained thriller that is yep. so exciting from front to back has like really great insightful character moments and then just some really genuinely like unsettling set pieces that are like both terrifying and haunting. Like it's a movie that gets me so mostly welled up with like the, just the tension that builds up, particularly like when Mark Ruffalo talks to Jamie Foxx, but like, look, I know who you are. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get out of here. And he's shot within like 90 uh-huh. seconds after yeah. that happens. And it's such a bummer, but the movie also doesn't like dwell on it. They just have Jamie Foxx like, Oh fuck me. And then Vince's like, come on, we got to get in the car. Got to keep moving. <laughs> yep. This movie's it's all a- killer, no filler. Yeah, it's very propulsive, for sure. It's just, like, does not stop whatsoever. And even when it does have brief character moments, it still is, like, emotionally not stopping for you at the same time. It's it's kind of a perfect movie to me. This is, like, top-tier just movies in general, regardless of man or not for me. And I'll say those are my final thoughts, because we have a whole other movie we gotta get to. But, Matt, your final thoughts on Collateral. This was his digital debut basically that's one of the reasons he's one of my favorite filmmakers i love this guy's digital work and he just he he got that viper camera and just cranked the iso up to i don't know fifty thousand, and went to town in los angeles one night and yeah it's top tier man it's top tier cruise i love this movie it's i, I kind of want to watch it again like right now I'm looking at the disc on the wall right now and i'm like I could take you off the shelf and watch you right after this. <laughs> tempting, very tempting. But Adam, your final thoughts. I mean, it's great. You know, it, it's it's 
what else can you say? I mean, it is top tier. It is five out of five. It is a perfect movie. I, I completely, completely agree with all that. And I mean, it's, it's the only reason it, to me it does take over heat is simple just because of some of Al Pacino's one-liners. And I know that sounds silly, but I mean, just, you know, anything Vincent says isn't as good as, you know, you get shot walking your doggy. <laughs> like, it's, you know, just, it's, quit, don't waste my motherfucking time. But, um, yeah, no, this is top tier, dude. I mean, it's it's fucking great. It looks great. It sounds great. Uh, you know, just not even the score, but just the the sort of sound design period is just wonderful. You don't miss a bit of dialogue from any angle. Um, it, it's just it's done so expertly well on every level, and that it's and that it's only like a tight two hours. And this kind of movie was a blockbuster and all that stuff just adds to the sort of the mystique and the, and everything of it. I, this is just one of those movies to where I don't know many people who wouldn't like this movie, even people who aren't into thrillers and stuff like that. This is still an easier sort of movie to digest than I think what most people would think is a thriller. I, I, I yeah, I'd be hard pressed to think of anybody wouldn't like this and, or at least love it. I mean, it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. Well, yes, uh, now we have a whole other movie that I'm sure we'll all agree on. It's a great, awesome film with no kind of issues whatsoever to it. We sure. have Mission Impossible 2. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't quite know where to begin. Do you know me? No. Should I? She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man at light, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Welcome to Australia, mate. This ain't funny. The mother of all nightmares is on the loose. I don't think I can do it. I mean, it'll be difficult. Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult to be a walk in the park for you. You gotta be kidding. So Mission Impossible 2, or MI2, as it was advertised prominently, is uh, a film that came out May 24, 2000, and is obviously uh, the second in the Mission Impossible franchise, which, as we mentioned, has kind of become the bread and butter of Mr. Tom Cruise ever since uh, 1996. The first uh, Mission Impossible came out and was the first movie he ever produced of his that he was in. And uh, I think that's an interesting kind of like start for that point in his career where he really became sort of like the master of his own image and was just very prominent. Like, like I'm going to work with certain like big directors and stuff like a Brian De Palma, hire him on for this movie and make this sort of my franchise. It's like the first big franchise he ever was like a part of. And he really sort of crafted the trajectory of it. And it's so fascinating given what we've gotten to by Mission Impossible Fallout with uh, Mission Impossible 2, which is often sort of the black sheep of the franchise to a certain degree, and I think that might be why, Adam, you picked this as your bad pick, unless you'd like to elaborate further. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, this movie fucking sucks. Um, the, re- the reason I picked it, uh, you know, it has kind of has a stigma to it anyways. I remember um, I went down to Ohio to go to a theme park. It's called Cedar Point down there, and it was rained out, closed. So we went and saw this, and the, obviously this isn't going to compete with, with going on a roller coaster. Uh, and so I was like, oh, wow, this, that was really disappointing because I really enjoyed the first one. And then after I've seen all of them now several times, and I really do love the franchise as a whole, 
Um, just this one is just so such a misstep compared to everything else. Uh, it, it just relied too much on the sort of John Woo gun fu type choreography that it's just it's so out of place in comparison to even the first one and the ones that followed it. I mean, the ones that followed it still do a lot of like the the more actiony bits, uh, but it's just what the fuck, dude? Duggery Scott, what the fuck? The the car bit with you know Tandy Newton and, and Tom Cruise, what the fuck? It just everything about this movie is just a giant. What the fuck is going on? The salsa dancer scene, the oh Anthony, the Anthony Hopkins of it all. Like, what is going on here? Like, why, why is he why, the opening, uh, you know, where he gets the sunglasses and throws him the limp biscuit theme. What the, like, what the fuck this? You no. Know, yeah. I just, no, I don't like this movie. Well, our guest, Matt, um, I'm very curious. Cause I think you might have a differing opinion on that yourself with mission impossible too. All the things you hate are things that make me live. <laughs> love this movie uh it's john woo just going hog wild with hollywood money uh, i don't think he ever had a budget bigger than this uh maybe wind talkers he had a, like a little bit more money with that one but that i loved this movie when it came out i had a lot of fun going that to the theater that summer to see it with my friends didn't really revisit it for the longest time. And then, you know, Mission Impossible became like the big thing again after the third one came out. And then, you know, Ghost Proats and Rogue Nation and Fallout. And then in the past couple of years, I got really into John Woo and his uh, Hong Kong films. And that's when Mission Impossible 2 really clicked for me because this is just Woo just going for it. Uh, Tom Cruise flip kicking through a flock of doves. Uh, off of a motorcycle this movie's insane the story is very stupid and i'm fine with that as long as i get to see tom cruise and tandy newton go wild and just you know race cars and 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 they fight the guy who was gonna be wolverine and thank god this movie went into reshoots uh just bless this movie just for that for giving us hugh jackman's career yeah this movie i love it uh, it's it's definitely my least favorite in the series, but I still love this movie. I, I think it's a lot of fun from start to finish. It's it's prime bullshit, and uh, it's, but it's my kind of bullshit, and I love it. My only negative is that it killed Napster. Other than that, oh, of course, good yes. good for this movie. <laughs> right, <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, with me in this movie, it's weird because like every time I watch Mission Impossible Two, I have this weird thing where the stuff that Adam is mentioning that is like he has issue with about like the big over the top elaborate like John Woo action I like a lot of that stuff it's just the problem with this movie for me is it opens like the first 20 minutes or so of that is so fun it's so filled with like all those weird bizarre turns that I agree is incongruous with the other movies after this point but I still feel at the same time it's kind of fun on its own and I think that's the case for like that opening 20 minutes and like the last 20 or 30 minutes or so of the movie but then in the middle is like 80 minutes of lame duck bullshit I don't care about, and it's so boring. <laughs> like, by the time we've got fucking Brendan Gleeson on a hospital bed, just, like, sweating Insane. his ass off, and he's just like, oh, I have the cut, and all the, like, how many times they repeat the whole thing about, like, uh, there's a hero and a villain 
we have to have that choice. And of course, it's like a metaphor for a vaccine for the chimera virus. It's like, I get it. I get that's the idea. But like that 80 minute chunk is so dire for me that by the time we get to the fun, dumb motorcycle chase and stuff like that, it is kind of like a, well, finally, where the fuck was this for like a whole feature film's worth of bullshit in the middle of this movie? (laughs) I even dig that stuff. Like I, I dig like the Anthony Hopkins with his like, this is Mission Impossible. The difficult should be a walk in the park for you. I like that. I like the lab shootout. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I don't know. This, this, I, I even kind of like not Simon Pegg in this. I think he's pretty fun. Or the Australian uh, equivalent, the, the yeah, Australian the, non-union yeah, equivalent. Yeah, yeah. Yes, equivalent of yeah, yes yeah. of uh, Simon Pegg. Like I don't know. I just, I just, it's this is a big old turn your brain off. Let John Woo hit the infinite ammo code and go to town. I have fun with it. You know, not for nothing. When not you kind of rather seen Richard Roxborough as the villain? A hundred percent. Because if you don't know, Richard Roxborough yes, please. had this fucking run in the early millennium that was so fascinating where he played the most over-the-top villains in big movies where he was the villain in Moulin Rouge. Amazing. He was the villain in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And then he was Dracula and Van Helsing. Yeah. Right. Where he's, I would argue, the only one who kind of gets what Van Helsing should be. Yeah, Everyone think, else is not on the true. appropriate page that he is at. Uh-huh. And I kind of wished he grew out his fucking sniveling Moulin Rouge mustache and played the <laughs> Doug Ray Scott part. Because, like, Doug Ray Scott, like, I agree, I'm thankful that this movie went over budget, so, like, they had to do reshoots and he couldn't be Wolverine as he was cast to be in the first X-Men. Because, Whoa, uh, he's what a so, choice for Wolverine, huh? Right, because he is so fucking dull <laughs> in this movie. And, like, t- like the Mission Impossible movies aren't always the best with villains. Like, obviously, there's, like, a Philip Seymour Hoffman or even Sean Harris in some of the later movies. But they can work around lesser villains like Michael Knife Quest, who, great actor, but whatever he is in Ghost Perfect. Whatever that is, yeah. I even forget he is the villain half the time when I watch that movie. Yeah, they just kind of, like, they work around that because it's like, oh, we're not going to feature him that much as opposed to that, like, a big problem with, like, that 80-minute chunk that I'm talking about in the middle is it's so focused on, like, him being this weird, like, almost Hitchcock villain to Thandaway Newton. I have all this stuff about stocks and bonds and all this stuff, like, who gives a flying fuck? Who fucking cares? (laughs) It's a movie that's trying to be more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, Thanks, Mm -hmm. Robert Town. That's right. That's that's his yeah. thing. <laughs> right. And uh, he was the big screenwriter that Cruz always like attached. Like he, he wrote the original Mission Impossible. Bunch of others. Yeah. So he was like the guy he always went to. Yeah, like Tom Cruise saw Chinatown once. He's like, I want that guy. I want the writer. I want that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course. And all, all of those movies have such a Chinatown level structure. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, so complicated. <laughs> Right, right. Like, it's such a bummer because, like, I can see, like I mentioned, like, the big over-the-top elaborate stuff that happens. Like, I agree with Matt about some of that stuff, like, particularly the opening bit with, like, him on the the big mountain face. Like, I love that just because it feels almost like it's kind of like, this is the movie where after all the stuff that happened in the first movie, where Ethan Hunt lost everybody, this isn't being like, no, I'm a lone wolf and I'm fine. No, I'm not hiding anything. About my own personal, like, struggles and trauma. I'm totally great. I'm going to be the most rebellious, silly, lone wolf dude possible. With, like, him on the mountain, which was, like, the big stunt of this movie. Or even him, like, seeing Thanduay Newton in, like, doing the the whole, like, uh, almost, like, sex with cars thing they do with the big chase. That was wild. I grew my hair out. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> yep. This is this is totally Ethan Hunt going through the weird midlife crisis that makes oh, it's it, the it, only it way you can work this is. with yeah. the rest of the movies. Is that's what it is. You guys want to hear me play acoustic guitar? Hold on, hold on, wait, <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait. Got to warm it up. <laughs> also, okay, I'm okay. friends with Fred Durst because I'm in with the kids. I know what they like. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. We and also coach. Metallica. I yeah. had them write a song for this too. <laughs> That song rips. That's <laughs> the that's the problem with Napster. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I don't mind the final sort of motorcycle chase and all that. Like some of the action bits are really fun in this, and they're so ridiculous and over the top. That fine, fine. And I think Thomas, I think you kind of hit it on the head. The mid fucking hour to seventy to eighty minutes of this thing is such a bore. With you know Brendan Gleeson and uh, oh god, what's his name the. The doctor, the one who's in everything. Raid Cybergy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of that business. And then the constant, like, you know, Tandy Newton on the computer and Dougie Scott almost catched her, then not catched her, then he knows, but he doesn't know. And then he got a cigar cutter, gonna cut off the finger. Let's go to the fucking Kentucky Derby. Oh, man. Like, you're like, this is just so fucking boring. Like, it's so boring. Either lean into it completely and just make it this crazy, over-the-top action fucking porn movie, or scale it back like you did the first one. It's just such a weird mix to me. Just like I said, some of the, the like the, the salsa dancer thing, I'm sorry, but that what is the, what? I just love the way it's shot. Yeah, oh, I yeah. hate it. I think it looks I, so stupid. I love that John Woo talked about it as like, oh, this is my West Side Story bit. In the middle of this yeah. movie, which is like, true. It, it's basically uh, okay. his West Side yeah, Story all right. thing. Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> they see each other across the room dancing. It's just like, oh, yeah. We're, we're oh, cute. We know exactly Let's go shag in a deserted cabin. This in no way feels like a Mission Impossible movie to me. And I think that's part of my problem with it. Like, the first one's definitely Mission Impossible. The third, fourth, you know, all the way up to Fallout, they're very much connected in a way. Like, it's very much the IMF team and all this stuff. This one just feels like, like you said, Thomas, he's a lone wolf now he's down in his ear gonna get the job done but and it's just it's it's stupid i don't like ethan hunt as a womanizer i don't like ethan like this i don't know i just don't like it i don't like it i think it's too slick and too polished i don't i don't know i can fucking i don't know fuck it fuck it (laughs) fuck everything I don't like it. What? I mean, I think that's just the issue of this being the second movie in this franchise, where just like the first one was such a big success. And even like that first movie is way more of like a Brian De Palma, like conspiracy uh-huh. spy thriller movie than it ever is an action movie. That's a fun movie. I watched both of these like back to back, the first and second movie. And I think that movie is still like, it's almost become underrated because of how like great the other ones are afterward. But I think like that, like the first and second movie, it feels definitely like, okay, we did our like conspiracy theory, like thriller movie before this. So let's do the Bug Nuts action movie. And then by the time of three, that's where they start kind of crystallizing, like, let's meet in the middle and do like our formula, basically, and set that up, which I think is like interesting. But at the same time, I like the fact that earlier on these like Mission Impossible movies, it's let's give a director the task like you're doing a spy movie and have you do like that version of it. And this feels it's way more like, say, a Bond movie, this one. Than like it is like a quote unquote Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, like a Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Right, there's a lot more like Die Another Day. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Right, which I think, like, that's just become, like, the weird thing of, like, at that point, it's, like, how do we reinvent Bond? And in this case, like, let's have that with an Ethan Hunt attempting to do some weird triple X shit, which I would kind of hope that, like, because I, I watched a bunch of John Woo movies in anticipation of this episode and watching this movie. And, like, both his Hong Kong movies and even, like, some of his American action movies. Did, so, did, did you watch The Killer? 
Yeah, the killer fucking rules. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. So fucking oh, rules. fuck, that movie's also, amazing. By the way, just weird sidebar that they're gonna, he's directing an American remake of that for Peacock now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. announced. I am, oh, he's, he's coming back to Hollywood. Right, fascinated to see what Very happy. happy. It's gonna be Chris Pratt. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, but no, what I think is so interesting is like those, like his movies have such a great job of like mixing in very over the top but sincere drama with the crazy action set pieces. And I think this movie doesn't quite have that because of like the weird structural things I mentioned. Like all the overwrought drama is saved for the middle big ass chunk of the movie. And then the action sequence, it's almost like a reverse sandwich. Like, the meats are on the other side, and the bread's in the middle. It's like, this is a sandwich. What the fuck is this? But, Matt, please, you, you haven't talked enough. Please, like, keep displaying, like, why do you think this one is maybe underrated? It's John Woo, man. It's, I'm all about Woo, and I just love his style. I, I have a constant blast with this. I love the way it's shot. I mean, him shooting, like, Kentucky Derby shit is just awesome to me. Like, I love it. I just, I just love the look. Of this movie like i said earlier i love the look of that whole tango sequence i mean it's it's a it's a, a heist mixed with a tango i think that's pretty cool yeah doug ray scott sucks and he's kind of like really boring as the villain but like you guys said earlier this series has on and off had like a villain problem and this is one of the movies that has a major villain problem kind of like ghost Prots did and it's fine it's it, it is a very, very early 2000s movie. I kind of miss that, that aesthetic the, these days as I've you know been inundated with all this conveyor belt stuff that we just keep getting from you know all the action movies these days, like Marvel and all that crap. Uh, I miss any director that has a sense of style that can, that they can call their own. Uh, it's it's why I like this. It's it's why I like John Woo. It's like why I like Michael Mann. They these guys have style, and I I and I dig it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I would definitely agree with, especially the part of a uh, this is the year two thousand in a bottle. Like oh, you, without if, a doubt. If a young historian is just like, what was the year two thousand like? Just like young man. Watch Mission Show them Impossible this. 2. Watch this, Mission Impossible this is just the like year 2000 as a movie with like the, the long hair on Tom Cruise. Those fucking sunglasses. What are those sunglasses called? The weird, Oakley's? Like, Oakley's, yes. Were they those Oakley's? Yeah. So distinctly 2000. Yeah, <laughs> and, they're definitely Oakley's. Limp Biscuit on the soundtrack. Um, all Oof. of like the overwrought stuff. Even like the Hans Zimmer score in this movie even feels like, because this is the same year as Gladiator. And she's like, oh, did you just like in between sessions record this? And Gladiator on and off. Just like, banging dude, on like, a guitar, man. <laughs> yeah, that, but then also when Thando Wayne's like on the cliff and it's just like the big elaborate choral stuff that's going on at the same time. It's amazing. It, amazing. Yeah. But I, I think like that kind of stuff for me with Wu works a lot better when it's say like in a face off. I think that's his best of like his American movies. I agree. I should see that. Which is crazy that I haven't seen Face Off. No, if you like Mission Impossible 2, you're gonna love Face Off. Yeah, I mean I I love the killer. I love hard boiled. I love hard oh, target. Uh, there's there is so much John Woo and face off. It's not even funny, right? And that one pieces it out a lot better. Where just like you have the silliest opening action sequence with Nicolas yes. Cage, and then going like you have the overwrought drama stuff, but it feels like it's like incredibly over dramatic and overwrought, but in a way that like really works for the silliness of that movie. And it goes on and off, and it never feels like it stops dead at any point. Like if this movie, if Mission Impossible Two, kept that kind of like we are going ham 
throughout the entire thing. I would have a lot more fun with this movie, and I would say it's like an underrated gem of like a weird 2000 era movie. But um, as it stands, I just, it's like I said, I love the opening 20 or 30 minutes and then the ending 20 or 30 minutes, which we haven't mentioned enough, but the motorcycle chase that is so ridiculous. Motorcycle joust. Where they, like, they bump into each other like they're fucking action figures. Great. great. I'm so on board for that. And then him <laughs> kicking up the gun from the sand Holy and all that other shit. shit. That's all fun. And I'm just like, man, I wish this was consistently like peppered throughout this movie. <laughs> like put these, like any of the action sequences that are at the beginning and ending of this movie, like sprinkle them throughout in the edit and I think this is a really fun movie but as it stands it's just kind of like this weird misshapen mess uh, but before we go into like final thoughts I'm curious uh, what do you think this crystallizes for you Matt about like Tom Cruise as a star like this particular period and everything like him in Mission Impossible 2 what makes this really crystallize for you what Tom Cruise was it's crazy like he came off of two of his best performances in 99 to you know, do this. And like I said, at the very beginning of the show, it shows this, he has range. He can do the big action movies. He can do the high level dramas and it all works. It, it at least for me, it, it works for me. It, like I have a very hard time picking a Tom Cruise performance or movie that I downright hate or do not enjoy in some way. And this was the start of his, pretty much ascension into doing what he's doing nowadays. Just uh, the producer driven mission impossible movies where it's just him having a ball, almost dying for your amusement. (laughs) Of course. Yes. Uh, What about you, Adam, with that, with the Tom Cruise of it all? I mean, I think if anything, this, this movie is really sort of a proving point of just sort of the clout he has even behind the scenes. Um, Because there's no doubt to me, a lot of these uh, stunts, a lot, uh, even John Woo directing it, a lot of all that was Tom Cruise's call. Like he wanted to do these things. He wanted that director. He undoubtedly probably wanted Danny Newton in it. He undoubtedly probably wanted Anthony Hopkins in it. That's why they're in it. Uh, Tom Cruise has so much pull into sort of the behind the scenes and production of the movies he's in that it's kind of insane. But yeah, I mean, I think this is probably, like I said, the very first big example of when I realized that like, oh, he can do anything he wants. And uh, I think that's maybe part of the uh, issue with this movie. Yeah, I think it's more interesting less than as like a a piece in the Mission Impossible puzzle as much as the Tom Cruise puzzle. Because like Matt mentioned, this is him coming off of doing like Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. And then right after this is a movie we talked about on the show before, Vanilla Sky. And that run is such like a huge transition point from him like being like, I will give myself to an auteur like a Stanley Kubrick or a Paul Thomas Anderson to him really crystallizing like, no, this I have to do like the Tom Cruise image movie, basically, because even for all the weird deconstructions of Vanilla Sky, it is so heavily promoted as like, look, you're going to come to this movie because the poster is just me in front of a fucking sky. <laughs> So thus, you will come and see this movie. And I think that's, it's really like the beginning of like, we mentioned that kind of like him steering the direction of his career to where that would, like I said, kind of collapse by the point of even like a Mission Impossible 3, like around that point is where he's still kind of got that mode, but it still is like his career is kind of crumbling around it because of some, all the stuff about like the Scientology and whatnot that's going on at that point. So I think this is definitely that weird upswing point where it's just like that confidence is there, which I find fascinating, even if, though I don't think it quite works for like this movie. It's just more of like, it's the Tom Cruise ego on full display in a way that I find very fascinating just in terms of his career. But I do think ultimately kind of weirdly crumbles the movie. 
but it still was like a fascinating object of that place and time. And those will be my final thoughts. So Matt, any lingering final thoughts on Mission Impossible 2? Other than me being a big fan, I wish we could one day see Wu's cut of this, but we never will. That's fine. We got what we got, and that's fine. Right. There's like supposedly a two-hour, 45-minute cut of this movie that's less action-driven. Yeah, that he apparently wanted to have out, and uh, they did all the reshoots and stuff with all the big action beats that we see in the movie instead. But uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Mission Impossible Two? I don't like it. (laughs) Well, okay, so uh, we got that settled. Uh, So that brings us to uh, our weekly segment, the Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. So the double redo basically every week Adam, myself, and a guest, if they so wish, uh, will uh, bring to the table an alternative sort of double redo double feature where we bring up one film we would recommend related to the topic and one we'd advise steering clear of. For the topic, and uh, Adam, you're going first. So, what is your good and bad pick for this week's double redo? All right. So, I'll start with my good pick, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. By the way, it is called Edge of Tomorrow, not Live Die Repeat. Yeah, that's stupid. It, it's so fucking stupid. God, it frustrates me so bad. We're changing the name. People can't read. Yo, here you go, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, so fucking stupid. But uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I love Edge of Tomorrow. I love the story. I love the effects work. I love the entire cast. It might be one of my favorite later day Bill Paxton's. Maybe mm-hmm. so good. Tip of the spear. Crack of my ass. You're like, you're so fucking, <laughs> he's so fucking good in it. But it's just such a great sci-fi action movie that just really doesn't let up from beginning to end. There's not really a slog point in that movie. I think it's just really from front to back, just so much fun. And then my bad pick, because I didn't think it was funny when it came out, and I think now there's even more problems with it. I have Tropic Thunder. I, I'll give Tom Cruise all the credit in the world for wearing the fat suit and really just sort of you know dropping the F-bombs that are so against type for him and really getting into it and all this stuff. It just it, it, it didn't work for me then. Uh, like the whole hip hop angle of his character, and then plus the Robert Downey Jr. stuff, and then the uh, Al Pacino stuff. Just it was a hard movie to swallow then. It's even harder now, and it, it's a shame because I remember when that was coming out, it was like going to be the you know the new like greatest of all time comedy movie because all the talent involved and everything. And it, it was okay then, and I, I it's just kind of offensive and forgettable now yeah i i love edge of tomorrow i, wa- I rewatched it in prep for this show it's the first time since the theater honestly i hadn't seen it in quite a while it good yeah spoilers it's a great fucking movie <laughs> i completely agree and i think it's so good because like it we've gotten so many after that movie love like the groundhog day ripoffs and mm-hmm. some are better than others like you know the happy death day movies are fun um and some others aren't as great but edge of tomorrow feels like the best sort of successor to that like time loop movie just because they do such a great job with like the editing in particular of getting you into the rhythm of what like the event is like my favorite parts of that movie are like from when he first dies to him getting the realization of, like, I'm doing this, and how do I get past it, and all the, like, foibles, like him getting run over by the truck. Amazing. And stuff like that. So funny. So fun. It's so good. And then it leads into, like, all the big action stuff that's so very fun. And Emily Blunt is a badass in that movie. And there's so much of stuff. Like, I love the robot suits. Even they're mostly practical. They have, like, CG assists, but they, they're actually wearing those suits that are really fun. And it's a great testament to Doug Lyman's fucking crazy-ass career. 
where you either get Edge of Tomorrow or Chaos Walking. Like, there's no middle ground. No, there's it's, none. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I'm really looking forward to the new uh, 4K of uh, Edge of Tomorrow that's coming out yes. in like a month. They announced that recently. Yeah. And if they ever do the sequel, they keep teasing that sequel, but it's one yeah. of those movies where it made just enough money to where they're like, maybe we'll do it. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> it's like one of those. Plus, Tom um, Cruise is getting old. He's not going to be able to do this much longer. <laughs> that's true. He's going to die in space. If he does that one fucking movie. He's going to be 60. Damn. (laughs) He died as he lived, rocketing toward the moon. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, and then Tropic Thunder, I did revisit um, in the last couple years, um, I think, because I was doing, like, a 2008 podcast, and I revisited a bunch of those movies. Um, I like aspects of Tropic Thunder still. I think there's, like, obviously some problematic elements to it. But I think the first two-thirds of it, I think, are still consistently funny uh, sort of showbiz satire comedy. I think my biggest trouble is like near the end, it just goes into like too much action fodder and jokes stop being as like consistent. Um, but yeah, even the Tom Cruise of it all, I think it, those scenes with him are less funny because of whatever he's doing and more because I think Bill Hader is the perfect straight man to his material. <laughs> Cause it's like Bill Hader's talked about this so many times. It's just like, yeah, I was just like wit- isolated with him just reacting off of him and it was a weird experience uh but it was kind of fun i just also love like if nothing else that gave us the weird like story that seth rogan's talked about where like apparently after that movie he really wanted to do comedies and they tried yes. to pitch him on like so hey um you know we we got some ideas for you uh, how about um what if you become addicted to like internet porn and tom cruise literally reacted with like what's that <laughs> what, is, what is that that people search online for for porn like yeah that's people do that. what what is are you sure that's a thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. He's so he's so simple and pure. Like weird, weird dude. Weird dude. We need more weirdos. I think that's why I like Tom Cruise. Right. He's that's like, even why I love like Edge of Tomorrow is so based in video game mechanics that I'm very sure Tom Cruise has never touched a video game. In this no, game. not at he all. Has no. no idea what the concept of it is or why someone would stop exerting themselves physically to sit and play a video game <laughs> like at all. <laughs> I don't get it. What What are you doing? <laughs> You just sit here? You don't actually run and collect mushrooms? You press a button and he jumps? I can jump! I can just jump on my own! (laughs) But, uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on Tomorrow or uh, Tropic Thunder? Oh, Edge of Tomorrow is fucking awesome. (laughs) That's uh, one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies. Uh, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder in a while. Uh, I used to watch it a lot with the commentary, actually, because the commentary is... uh, very funny but yeah no it's uh i'll have to revisit that it's been a very long time well i'll jump in with my choices here um i have uh two of the more sort of like tom cruise grounded movies uh, to some extent um as my good and bad pick first i have jerry Maguire, which was a very famous movie at the time i remember that was probably like the earliest memories i have of tom cruise or like just that vhs being fucking everywhere and everybody having a copy of Jerry Maguire. Mom had it. Never opened right. it, but she had it. <laughs> of course. The shrink-wrapped fucking uh, Jerry Maguire VHS mm-hmm. was just a mainstay in every household. You had to have it. It was a gift. It's like a credenza. <laughs> you had to have it. Um, but but yeah, I, I and for a while, I kind of avoided, even then when I saw it maybe around like the early 2000s, I was like, I don't know, it's not my thing. But I revisited it a couple times in like the last couple of years, especially like right before we did the show. And that movie, there's a reason why it's like one of his most successful movies despite not being a big actioner it is such an interesting sort of weird once again time capsule where it's very 1996 
but at the same time, the emotions still feel honest, and I like the fact that it's a movie, one of the early examples of him really deconstructing his persona as well, because the earlier part of the movie is like, hey, I'm a hotshot sports agent, I'm so great, I'm so awesome, everything's great, and everything falls apart for him, and there's so much of like that weird intensity that you get out of like Cruz and like Collateral shows up earlier in this movie, <laughs> where particularly when the, the whole phone call where he finds out that, Jer- that Jerry O'Connell's screwing him over, and he's just like, no comment. And then puts down the phone and then looks over at Bill Bridges like, let's put something in writing. <laughs> like, there's an unsettling nature to that, but it all works to, like, really make him completely melt by the end of the movie. And you get why, obviously, it was such a big success for him, but also why it launched Renee Zellweger's career. She's so adorable and charming in that movie. Why Jonathan Lipnicki is, like, the most adorable kid in that movie. He's so good. And even with all the issues about Cuba Gooding Jr. as of recent, it's weird going back to this movie and realizing, oh, this is why he was such a big star at this particular time and why he could never follow this up. It could never, ever follow up a performance like this bravado and fun and investing. And it just never could really amount to much for him. Uh, but I think the movie's great. I think it's sort of a movie that's like gotten a bit too much hate because it was so successful, but I think it's one that I would recommend going back to if you thought it was like maybe a bit overrated at the time. And then one that got a lot of hate when it came out, and I still agree with it, I think this is a fucking terrible movie, is Rock of Ages, which is this big comedy uh-huh. musical where the whole premise is just like, oh, we're going to do a jukebox musical of, like, 80s hair metal bands. And, like, all these songs, like, uh, Pour Some Sugar On Me and, like, all this other shit. And that show, apparently, the original, like, stage show, is much more, like, a participatory, like, everybody's singing in the audience. It's, like, a sing-along thing. I could see how that could be kind of fun if you're into that kind of music. But in a film, it is so obnoxious and annoying. And Cruz is trying his best with, like, doing the singing and stuff. But it is such an obnoxious, like, embarrassment for everyone involved, including Cruz. I would say that's his worst movie easily out of any of his. You know, Jerry Maguire, I remember... I saw it at the show because that was the big movie. And also, another movie where Tom Cruise just put his face on the poster and was like, deal with it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to even be like facing. I'm just going to be in profile. You're going to fucking see this shit. I'm going to be laughing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing at you, you fucks. Um, (laughs) Baby, little, take it with your little poppy corn. Um, No, it's. uh, Yeah, no, Jerry Maguire is just a sweet movie. Like, I I don't love it or anything, but it is definitely one of those movies, like, it's just super wholesome, makes you feel good while you're watching it. Uh, So I can never fault a movie for that. And, yeah, you know, say what you will about Cuba Gooding Jr. and Renee Zellweger and, you know, the careers they had or didn't have, but, hey, Jonathan Lipnicki went to star in The Little Vampire, so... And not one, but two Stuart Littles. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, and now he's weirdly jacked like it's, yeah, it's, it's bizarre it's, it's unsettling really, it's so unsettling but um yeah I, like i said it's super fun <laughs> movie. uh rock of ages no interest haven't watched it won't ever watch it not only is it a musical but it just looks pretentious and uh shitty to me so there you go never gonna watch that one uh, i've never seen jerry mcguire so i have no thoughts <laughs> um rock of ages i think is a hoot and a holler and i don't know i have a lot of fun with that because i'm a fan of the music and I think some of the performances are good, especially Alec Baldwin. I think he's fucking hilarious in that movie. And uh, yeah, the Tom Cruise's Stacey Jacks proved that Tom Cruise can do anything. He can act. He can sing. Uh, I don't know if he can dance, but I'm sure he can. He's a quintuple threat. Yes, yes he can do anything he wants. <laughs> but Matt, please, your choices. 
for the double. All right. So I will have a, a good movie and a bad one. Um, my good one is probably my favorite fantasy film of all time. It's uh, Legend. I can't recommend Legend enough. It's uh, 1985, Ridley Scott. Please seek out the director's cut if you can. Um, if listeners have ever played Ocarina of Time, you've seen Legend, but you haven't seen it like this. It's a phenomenal Tim Curry performance. It's got some really cool fantasy elements. It's got a bitchin' unicorn. Uh, Tom Cruise plays Link, essentially. It's it's cool, man. This Legend is uh, is a very, very cool 80s fantasy film. And uh, for my bad one, I'm going with The Mummy. Uh, this movie exists, and every time someone brings it up, I'm reminded that it does indeed exist. It, I mean, the Dark Universe was a mistake, let, let's face it. But it's it's not a good Mummy movie, uh, but it's oddly a very good Uncharted movie. But I don't think that's what they were going for. But uh, yeah, that's that's The Mummy. It's uh, It sure does exist. Yeah, man. When I was a kid, legend... Uh, Tim Curry as the darkness was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was the coolest and the scariest thing I've ever seen at the same mm-hmm. time. And then, and then when, you know, my uncle at the time was like, yeah, he's, that's the one who plays the Butler in clue. I would get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, there's no way. <laughs> By the way, same year as clue. Yeah. yeah right. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No legends. Legend is super fun. It, it, you watch it now. It feels like a weird, like acid trip because of the score and just the costume choices, especially with Mia Sarah, weird little movie, man, but it, it is super solid. I, I really love it. It's Ridley Scott, who, uh, for the record, is my favorite director. Just getting to have a ball in a fantasy land with his weird, dark tendencies. But also, if anybody ever wondered, like, why does Tom Cruise have braces in his 40s? Watch Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, this is right. Like, Legend's the last one where you get the old teeth. That's also like in The Outsiders. The old yeah, teeth and really the old ones. teeth and nose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but no, Legend is super fun. The Mummy, we've talked about on the show before. It's garbage. Uh, it, it's just, there's nothing redeeming about it. You can't even Not say good. the fact. Uh, it, it's just, it's this rushed out piece of shit that they were trying to, you know. What were they doing? No, 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 no Dracula Untold's not the start of it. No, 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 the mummy is. The mummy is. Yeah. Where I'd argue, honestly, for all its faults, Dracula Untold is a more fun movie than the mummy. Oh, that movie's fun. I like it. Yeah, yeah. it's super fun. Not good, but it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the mummy is not fun. It's a chore to get through in every single way. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely agree with your choices. The mummy is missing the crucial element of a monster clotheslining hundreds of thousands of soldiers with his two arms just <laughs> outstretched. <laughs> Where was that in The Mummy? Yeah, we've talked about it on the show. Not a fan of that movie necessarily. It's only interesting. It's just a relic of what the Dark Universe is, basically. It's the yeah. only reason that's kind of... Fa- the, I get more entertainment out of that dumb Photoshopped cast photo. Of oh my God, it's amazing. Like, I love you know, that picture. Like, they're all together. Everyone's here in the same room and we're going to be monsters together. Sure, <laughs> totally. sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And then Legend's interesting because I think it's such an interesting choice as a Tom Cruise good pick because he's like the weakest link to me in that movie. Literally, you mentioned he's basically playing Link. It's very true. He is but Link. Like I've actually read the, the thing that, that that it is what they based Ocarina of Time's story off of, which right. blows my mind. <laughs> Which makes sense, yeah, but like he's like definitely feels kind of lost in that movie, which yeah. is in such contrast to like so many other things. Like you guys didn't mention my favorite 
element of that movie is Robert Picardo as the weird like magpie witch. Yes. I love that design. That is such a creepy weird witch design that's so unique that I love. Like some of my favorite like sort of weird practical effects makeups in that movie for sure. And Cruz might be so bewildered in it because first off, I mean, it is a fantasy movie and he had never worked with a director like Scott or a director with uh, this much money for a movie. I mean, this is probably like, this was Tom Cruise's biggest budgeted movie up until that point, right? I would probably say so. Yeah, the the Outsiders isn't like having practical makeup effects on there. Yeah, they're not. They're not spending eighty million to make uh, the Outsiders a risky business. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, But those are our choices. Let's go ahead and repeat the titles for everybody in case you missed them, Adam. Okay. For my good, I had Edge of Tomorrow, and for my bad, I had Tropic Thunder. Then for my good choice, I had Jerry Maguire, and for my bad choice, I had Rock of Ages. And for my good choice, I had Legend, and my bad one. The Mummy. Yes, not specifically uh, 2017, as opposed yes, to... Yes, the, the Tom mummy. Cruise Mummy. Not <laughs> right, the perfect no. mummy from 1999. Or the one starring Boris Karloff or any other of the thousand mummies yes, that, that came out prior to that. Yes. Uh, but that is the end of uh, a lot of our festivities. Stay tuned, though, for the end of the show, where we're going to be doing our picking and stuff for next week's episode. But uh, first, I want to thank some people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thorlally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, for more of his great stuff. And uh, also, uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash gedbpod, where for just a $1 a month, you all get uh, to vote in polls, for topics and individual movies we cover and also uh, you get to listen to bonus podcasts that we release out there like finally Adam and I sat down and talked about The Northman oh, Edge of Relevance oh, oh, I love it yes to hear Spoiler. more thoughts like that it's uh, so mean I love that movie I love it so much it's so metal. Yes, uh, we talked about that for On the Edge of Relevance, which is our Patreon show where we talk about more modern releases. So we finally got to talk about The Northman, and if you pay the $1, you all get to hear that, along with a huge backlog of stuff that's behind that paywall for just the dollar. And of course, we have one more person to thank, and that's Matt, our lovely guest Matt. Thank that's you me. for coming on. Please plug, where can people find you on the internet? All right. Well, you, anyone can find me everywhere at the real Matt C. Uh, you can also find me over on my uh, podcast, uh, Monsters Never Die, that I do with Jacob DeNoble. Uh, we talk about, you know, monster movies, their sequels, remakes, and ripoffs. And we have a lot of fun. We just did an episode on the Critters series and Gremlins knockoffs in, in general. So that'll be coming out soon. And I believe we have an episode on the Psycho series coming soon as well so that'll be a lot of fun and yeah the real matt c everywhere you find social medias <laughs> yeah i listened to the uh monsters never die episode about scream uh with your husband guesting and that was a lot of fun that was a fun episode i had i had fun doing that one yes uh but for more of us and our rinky dink operation find us on twitter and facebook at dedb pod and you can submit feedback to us at double edge devil bill at gmail.com all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd is at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. 
And I'm on the old Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And you can also find me under my full name, Adam Thomas on Facebook. Uh, it's all private and stiff, but you send me a request to say you uh, listen to the show, I'll accept you. And I'm also on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And uh, for more of us, please uh, you know follow us and subscribe on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows, like Matt's own show, of course, we're buddies here on Talk Film Society, hanging out, and uh, you can uh, also dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for several episodes we did even before we joined Talk Film Society, and nothing else, if you can't, you know, support us on the Patreon, it's completely understandable, money can be tight, but the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around, because it gets us more visibility. Yeah, yeah, thanks everybody who's been doing it. We really appreciate it. Fuck you, Rafe. Of course, a recurring. We're going <laughs> criticize somebody who's been a great guest <laughs> yeah, and know. a patron and is an <laughs> that, awesome. And who's, dude in who's also had us on his show several times. Right, a very yeah, good. Yeah, that guy fucking. could go. That guy could go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> you legitimate sweetheart piece of shit. <laughs> Fall in a ditch, well, you nice man. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, you fucking gift from God. <laughs> <laughs> well, now. It's time we finally do our picking for next week's episode, where basically, if you're new to the show, every week, uh, Adam and I each either have two good or two bad choices. We switch up on that quality every week uh, that we've assigned numbers between one and ten for. And uh, we've, uh, you know, each usually uh, pick a number between one and ten for each other's choices. That gets us a good and a bad feature that we cover on the next episode. Though Matt will be doing the picking as we uh, get to that in just a moment. But keep in mind, there is also the Godfather rule, where Adam and I were given a single veto to use that's burn a hole in our back pockets. We have one that exists from now until May of next year. We have to use it, use it or lose it. And uh, basically, if we hear one of our choices ends up getting picked because of the number between 1 and 10, and we feel like, you know what, we don't really want to cover that choice, we can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli, and thus, that choice is gone, and we have to go with whatever other choice remains. So, Matt, please, for our next topic of box office bombs, the okay. biggest box office bombs of all time, which oh, boy. to our patrons end up picking that, um, I have um, the two bad choices, actually. Adam has the two good. So, for his two good choices... Please pick them between one and ten. Okay, uh, let's go seven. All righty. At number nine, I have a movie that I actually really enjoy. I enjoy the source material, the book, quite a bit, uh, to the point where I think it's my first adult book that I read cover to cover. Um, I have The Thirteenth Warrior starring Antonio Banderas. Okay. Ooh, Eaters of the Dead. Nice. Yeah. I have not seen this one. I won't take the cannoli on that. Because I'm, if nothing else, fascinating. Because I've heard very interesting stories of its production and also casting elements with Antonio. Sure, Hunter's. sure, sure. Right. And at number two, I had the Paul W. S. Anderson, uh, Kurt Russell story, Soldier. Have not seen that one either. I like it. It's dumb sci-fi, cheesy fun. It's fun. I okay. like it. Well, now for my two bad choices, Matt. Please, number two, one and ten. Four. Okay. At number three. I have a more recent box office bomb, but one of the more fascinating massive failures that, unfortunately, is similar to Antonio Banderas, has uh, a lot of bad casting choices. Given the title oh, no. and the people in it, I have Gods of Egypt. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. No. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I only saw that once, and I want to say I was drunk. Uh, so I don't remember a lot about it, so I'm not going to take the cannoli either. Well, on the opposite side of things, 
I had uh, the infamous uh, sort of Jennifer Lopez, uh, Ben Affleck disaster that kind of wrecked their careers for a bit. I had oh. Gili, which I never actually seen. Okay, I, I'm better with Gods of Egypt. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> you. Hey, if that couple can survive Gili, so can you. After a long break. Look at those kids now. Look at those kids now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. A, a, a Gili and a Jersey girl is just like we gotta like have some time away from each. We need a break. We, we need a twenty year break, break. Yes. please. <laughs> a twenty year break, please, Ben. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yes, uh, Gods of Egypt. And the Thirteenth Warrior, a very interesting double feature. We'll get to next time. But until then, everybody, uh, this episode's about to self-destruct. So you better uh, jump off that motorcycle. Do it. They got up wearing my crash pads. <laughs>